Welcome to another episode of Break It Down for Brackens. Today we are talking to Maria Abbott. She is a nurse practitioner in New York, in the New York City area. Uh, we go back a long ways and she's got a lot of great things to share about <clears throat> how the numbers are different in New York as to how they are in Jefferson County or in West Virginia. Today's podcast is funded by Bracken's Painting, residential and commercial painting company that services all of Virginia and all of West Virginia. So if you have any painting needs, check us out at brackenspainting.com, B-R-A-C-K-E-N-S, painting.com. This podcast is also sponsored by City National Bank, which is one of those local small banks located in West Virginia. I do all of my banking uh, with Melissa Knott at the Jefferson County branches. She's my favorite. She takes very good care of me, especially during this COVID-19 stimulus funding packages, whatever's going on. She has kept me seriously in the loop for um, things I need to know. So I really appreciate that. City National Bank can be found at bankatcity.com. I'm pretty sure that's what it is. Um, but anyway, coming up, Melissa Abbott. Let's see what she has to say about being a nurse during this challenging time. <laughs> Maria, thank you for being on the podcast. It's okay to laugh because it is pretty funny. We just had a 45 minute, no, we had an hour prep meeting, catching up and talking about what we were going to talk about, reeling in the, um, the content, if you will. So thank you for thank being on the Break It Down for Bracken's podcast. Thanks for having me. Nice. Maria and I go back to 1990, I want to say, when we were both on the track and cross country team at O'Connell High School mm -hmm. in Arlington, Virginia. So we've known each other for a very long time, and social media has kept us together. Um, but what's great is Maria is up in the New York City area, and she is a nurse, correct? I'm a nurse practitioner. Nurse practitioner, which makes her a really badass nurse from my understanding. And, <laughs> and she's going to kind of break down what it's like up there and a bunch of really great, great uh, bullet points we're going to talk about. But Maria, first, tell us about your background, you know, where you grew up where you moved on to college, family, career path, all that sort of stuff. All right. So I grew up in DC. I went to high school with you <laughs> uh, in Arlington. And then I went to college at Catholic University for undergrad. And then for graduate school, I also went back to Catholic University, got a master's degree in uh, family nurse practitioner, which is what I've been doing. Uh, I so what is, what is a family nurse practitioner? Okay. So a family nurse practitioner uh, can do primary health care, basically. You can diagnose, treat, write prescriptions, um, that kind of thing. Um, they're used a lot in like urgent cares, uh, private practice, primary care, and specialty practices. I'm which sorry. Which is what I do. This is, this is this is my co-pilot. Get off me. 
just there we go. There we Hi. go. Be, be cool. There's Are Lupin. He, he he comes in many different podcasts. Um, so like you said, urgent care. That was kind of what I was envisioning was an urgent care sort of um, scenario. So my background is neonatal nursing, um, which is taking care of babies that are born premature. Uh, I did that down in the D.C. area, uh, and I pretty much worked at every hospital in D.C. because I was an agency nurse. So you name a hospital, it's probably there. Children's Hospital, Holy Cross. Does that mean they kind of put you where they needed you, or is that? Yeah, so um... I did travel nursing, and they put me where I, Fairfax and Nova. I pretty much worked in every single NICU um, as a specialty NICU nurse. And then uh, I got married, moved up to New York, and I continued to work as a NICU nurse. And then I also continued to work in private practice. Um, in a pediatrician's office. So I did primary health care in pediatrics. I have a family degree, but my background's basically pediatrics. Gotcha. So you met your husband in Northern Virginia or DC area? We met in college. Okay. Yeah. The, um, and when you say neonatal, explain to me what it's like when a baby is born uh, premature. I have zero experience. No. Uh, a baby that's born term is 38 to 40 weeks, like the whole full nine months. Okay. A baby that's premature is born um, anything 37 weeks and under. Um, and what kind of what kind of special care do they need? Uh, respiratory care, IV care, thermal regulation. Um, basically, they they weren't done incubating, <laughs> so we do that in the NICU. Or the other reason a baby would come to the NICU is if they have any kind of anomaly, genetic, cardiac, uh, endocrine. So something where um, maybe it was not diagnosed in utero and they need specialty care. Okay. So then you, when you made, when you went to New York, you were, um, you weren't an agency nurse anymore. I was not. I took a position as a staff nurse at White Plains Hospital. And I stayed there for seven years. And while I did that, I also worked in private practice in a pediatrician's office as a family nurse practitioner. Gotcha. Okay. About your family? What? What about your family? Uh, what about my family? Yeah, you so said you have kids. Yeah, I have three kids, three boys, uh, 13, 10, and eight. And um, I live with my husband. And my dog and uh my mom's still down in, like the dc area so i still go down there every now and then cool and and we also since we were on the track team together and even though you had a, a brief time when you weren't running anymore you are still a runner i mean i see <laughs> i see i see this facebook post all the time of your your <laughs> running and stuff so what's that like currently currently uh um i call the maintenance miles so I'm the PE teacher, and I'm also trying to get my runs in. So uh, the boys love it. My boys are pretty competitive. My, my oldest one's on a travel baseball team, so we kind of keep him to a schedule, even though his baseball team isn't meeting currently. But I, I dragged him out today, and we did four miles. Okay. So, um, so I guess we described your job pretty well. The um, You've had to adjust 
the office that you work in has had to adjust its um, procedures. And I know we're kind of jumping around on my bullet points here a little bit, um, but I think if we talk about the adjustment of the procedures as well as why those adjustments had to happen, we can then tie into some of these other bullet points here. So what have they done to change things so you can still treat patients? All right, so currently I work for Boston Children's Health Physicians. I'm not in Boston. We were, uh, we're a company that was bought by Boston Children's Hospital. We are in Connecticut, we're in New Jersey, we're in New York, um, and we have over 500 employees. Um, my specialty there is um, following all the babies that were in the NICU, um, outpatient. So making sure they're still you know, getting their physicals, making sure they're still seeing their specialists, making sure they're not needing any specialty care, OT, PT, speech therapy, you name it, genetics, whatever. Um, so basically that's what I normally do on a day-to-day -day as I go to the office. We also have a grant through NIH, so we do some, um, some uh, tracking of these babies, um, which is quite interesting. Um, but we had to change everything because not only is my population high risk, now we're not allowed to leave our house. So as a company, within like a two week span, we literally went to telemedicine, which is um, senior physician or nurse practitioner or um, physician assistant through the computer. So the way we do it at our office is you call in, you say you need an appointment. Um, there's an app. I don't find it very user-friendly right now, but luckily they've lifted a lot of the laws um, countrywide. Um, so you could use Messenger, FaceTime, um, any video chat way that you can speak to some Skype. Um, so they set you up with an appointment. You have a one-to-one -one face meeting with your provider. Um, and then we make suggestions or services or call prescriptions in or do anything through the video chat, basically. Um, so basically in a two week span, I, we had to switch all our patients to telemedicine, <laughs> learn how to use telemedicine, uh, roll it out and um, uh, work from home. So two that's weeks time. Two yeah, weeks that's time. probably what I've been doing. Yeah. <laughs> So, and we had to roll this out for like 500 providers, basically. So that's pretty incredible. It's been a it's been a learning curve, but it's been interesting, and it's well, it's been good. Just like with so many office workers telecommuting and um, working from home, I think a lot of businesses are finding that people are able to do these things. Why wasn't tele telemedicine? Uh, more prepared for? Why wasn't it a uh, technology that was being used significantly? So we have already had this discussion in my office that after um, the pandemic settles down, we will keep the telemedicine. So in our practice, we've had it for um, my one office. Some families can't go see the nutritionist at the children's hospital, so they do the telemedicine. That they set up the nutritionist with the patients. So there's certain specialty doctors um, that we don't want the families driving far, like the main children's hospital is like over an hour away. Um, but we've discussed it in our um, division that we'll keep it because not only 
do we have a lot of high-risk patients, but also um, we have patients that's just both parents work and they can't get into an office appointment like nine to five, like someone else would. So our discussion moving forward is to keep the telemedicine and maybe keep it like after hours for those families that maybe can't come into the office because they're both working nine to five. Um, so I'm, I'm really happy that, um, I'm not sure why we didn't use it more, <laughs> but I'm really happy we're gonna look forward to keeping it after. So is your facility a place where people could get tested for COVID or no? So if you go to the Children's Hospital, which we're affiliated with Westchester Medical Children's, um, they have like a drive-through setup for employees and for any of our patients, yes. But it, I will say you're bringing up another point we had discussed how difficult it is to be tested in New York. Oh, no, no, no. I'm not, I'm not going there yet. Not, not going yet. there yet? Okay. Not yet. Um, what I was kind of getting at was uh, you mentioned what the test was like. You talked about the swab. Can you kind of detail the, because I'm trying to imagine driving myself through a drive-through test and then the procedure you mentioned, like in a car, like they reach in their window. Okay, break that down for me. <laughs> All right, so basically the testing is called a PCR test. It's a nasal pharyngeal swab and an oral swab. And with the same stick. No, they used okay. two sticks. <laughs> yeah, um, I was like, I was like, so gross. Well, if you've ever had strep throat or anything, they've swabbed your throat. So you get that idea. You say, ah, and they stick that in, they swab your throat. But with the nose, like literally, like they have to go up and not just tap the top of your your nose. Like they have to like dig in and go back. So Ugh. basically with the nasal pharyngeal swab, you're just like, oh my goodness wow, that hurt. Because to get a good sample, you have to go up and then down a little. And then they like roll it. Um, so they're like in full, you know, gear, mask, everything. And then they come up to your, you know, you roll down your window and they'll test you. Wait, so hold on. <clears throat> you said a pharyngeal swab, is that what you said? It's a nasal pharyngeal swab. Nasal pharyngeal swab. Are most people who do these tests, have they been, is that, is that a routine test for other sort of things too? So people know how to do that all the time or do you have to learn so on the fly? When we test patients for flu, it's okay. the same test. The so same if you've thing. ever had a flu test where they stick it up your nose and back down, it's the same test basically. Okay. So you're, you're describing as you pull up in these drive-throughs, that there's people in their space outfits basically fully protected and you roll your window down, then what? <laughs> um, so they identify you, there's some sort of a check-in process basically, and then you're gonna get tested. I mean, they do explain what they're gonna do. They're gonna go up your nose and down and then they're gonna go through your throat and then okay. they put it in the media and then they're gonna send it to the lab. Now. Um, it's extremely slow because not every lab can do these tests and there's a backlog. So your test might not come back for like three, four, five days. Um, now down, if you're like, here, down here it's seven to 10 right now. Yeah. Well, so three, four, five days is not too bad. If you're like a first responder, like uh, police, fire, hopefully, 
doctor, nurse, that kind of thing. Um, then they fast track your test. Um, they have special labs like up in Albany. I, I actually know like state troopers that have been like physically driving the samples up to Albany um, to fast track them. And usually you get your test in two days or so. Okay. Um, but the backlog is so great that, and there's so many people being tested that it's, it's not a easy, it's not easy to find the place to test you. And it's, um, there's also a high risk of false negatives. Do you want to talk about that now? Or should we talk about that a little more in the order? We can talk about it in the order. Okay. I had, I had a kind of a method I wanted to follow, but I've already yeah, gone off track. Your um, so the next thing I kind of want to talk about, which ties into testing and, and like your husband and what he does and what his experience was and yours was, before we get to that, <clears throat> uh, I want to talk about the importance of prepping uh, a house for a sick person to come back. So if you have a family of five living in one house and one person has the symptoms, and they're going to get prepped. I feel like you had some sort of um, recommendations on how to kind of get a house ready or what you should do. Because it sounds like you were kind of in that situation and I know you had a friend or two who was in the same situation. So how would one prep, I mean, mentally even, be prepped to have somebody sick in the house with COVID? Right, so I had several, um, I had several friends sick and, um, and you had mentioned my husband too. So, um, the, the, the guidelines are, if you can, to please have separate bathrooms, if you can. I know some people cannot. They have one bathroom, one bedroom kind of thing. Then the other guideline is to not sleep in the same bedroom. Like, let's say it's husband, wife, um, or siblings. They should not be in the same bedroom. And then um, good hygiene, clean your doorknobs, clean your bathroom, um, pretty much any surface. The other guideline is you... You really shouldn't like be eating with them. It's that whole six feet apart. <laughs> you don't even want to like eat with them um, because you know you can't really wear a mask when you're eating. Um, so you know if you're in a close confined place like New York City is, most people are like in an apartment. It's extremely difficult. Um, if you're you know in a house with several bedrooms and bathrooms, you could assign an area. But um, it, it, it's logistically not easy. Right. So you mentioned that your, your, your husband came down with symptoms and you had some of the symptoms. Explain to me how you, 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 not only, you quarantined him, but also yourself and the kids. How did that work? So um, he was in his own bedroom. <laughs> he came down with symptoms. Um, and what were the symptoms that he had? He basically had every symptom. Fever, chills, body aches, joint pain. The way he described it to me is he, he had Lyme disease a couple years ago. And he said, I feel like I have Lyme disease. And I'm like, well, you can't have Lyme disease. It's March. <laughs> and you haven't been outside. And you haven't been around a tick. And you got the flu vaccine. So you went to work for 24-hour shift. He's a fireman in the a city. He's a battalion chief. I said, you're, you have it. I mean, you, you, you must have it. You have every symptom. Um, he had some of the GI symptoms. Um, well, if, if, I, if I remember correctly, huh? if I understand correctly, 
you know, they have a 14 day quarantine because people could have it like in their system for 14 days or something like that, or 10 days, or does it, or once you get it, does it hit fast? So what I've been reading and from what friends have experienced, it depends. It depends on your immunity. If you have, have comorbidities like diabetes, oh, um, um, some people get hit hard and fast. Some people it's more insidious, like it starts slow, like maybe just don't feel right, but I can't place what it is. And that's kind of how my husband was. Don't feel right, can't place what it is. And then by day three, like fevers, chills, body aches, pains, GI symptoms. Okay. <laughs> like, whoa, we just went from not feeling too good, maybe you're just tired, you did just work 24 hour shift to that. Um, so it, it does kind of depend. And I've had friends that have had like no symptom except they can't smell or eat, you know, which is now one of the, we've realized later, it's now one of the um, um, telltale signs too. What they, they think is that the virus um, is attacking the receptors um, to smell and eat. So you can't smell or eat. Um, and they also think it's transient. It's not like a permanent thing like, it will come back. So I'd like to see the data on that. Right. So you said he was in his own bedroom and you were in another bedroom and then- Right, and then I moved the kids to their bedroom. So the kids kept their own bedroom and I moved into a guest room with our other bathroom. And then we just tried to stay separate and six feet apart. And literally like he didn't leave the bedroom, <laughs> but you know, we're a big family of five. so. At some point, we're crossing paths or touching handles. Right, and, and, and supposedly it, it'll stay in the air and stay on surfaces. It's got to be really, really, really tough. And I never even thought about the challenge of one person coming down with it in a family and then just the fear of anybody else in the family coming down with it. Right. When, um, the, when that question was posed to me, actually, by a friend of mine, um, she, her partner is high risk like she has uh lung problems like and i'll give you an example like copd or asthma or something so to have one family member be sick and you only have to share like one bathroom you know it's really hard and then you have your other family member who's high risk and you can't go anywhere you're just in this you know three rooms basically so it makes it really hard yeah, that's an, that's an entirely different um, experience of quarantine. And, and I only say that because in New York, I know you pulled some numbers. Um, tell me, go ahead and rattle off. Hold on, I'm going to rattle off some numbers just for the sake of All right. drama. There <laughs> are, I think I heard on the, huh, Alexa. Hey, 8.3 million in New York City. No, 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 no. <laughs> Alexa, what is the population of Charlestown, West Virginia? Alexa, what is the population of Charlestown, West Virginia? I'm listening to you. Jesus Christ. Alexa, stop. I know that's funny, isn't it, Jenny? <laughs> I think she said seven. She said, I think it was 6,000. I think our population in, t in my town is 6,000. And I know 
in my county, it's 56,000. Those numbers could be a little bit off, but I'm guessing because I asked her earlier and now apparently Alexa doesn't speak any English. So <laughs> she's not understanding me. So if we have 6,000 people total in our county, how many people are infected in your county? All right. So I, I live in Orange County. In Orange County, we have 7,029. And this was just updated three hours ago. So in other words, you granted, it's all about scale. But that would be similar to every single person in my county right. having it, which is insane. We currently have 62 people, I believe, positive out right. of our entire county. Um, I'm sorry, that would be my whole town, my whole town being affected, which is pretty daunting. Yeah. Um, what, are, what are some other similar numbers there around, like what's the county beside yours? <laughs> so next to Orange County is Rockland County, which is, has 9,568. And then across the Hudson River is Westchester County, which is 24,701. So are we talking about significantly denser populations from those counties or are we looking at yes. a higher Westchester uh, West is literally uh, You know, so you have New York City and then the next county up from the Bronx is Westchester County So it's just a very heavy density of uh, commuters right. from right. the city Exactly. It's it's like Nassau County Nassau County, which is like you have New York City, and then you're going out to Long Island, it's 31,079. So then, I mean, again, I'm, I'm just, maybe I'm just not in the know, or I'm not following the news close enough, but does that mean that there's 30,000 people in the hospital, or a large, a very large percentage no, of those people are at home dealing with it? people are actually infected with it. So most of them are probably dealing with it at home, just being right. sick and quarantined. Right. But that's, that's why Governor Cuomo, you know, was, so adamant about, um, you know, getting ventilators, getting travel nurses, doctors, anyone to, to come in because of the masses, basically. Okay. And then when you are at home with COVID, do, is it opportunity to have nurses or doctors visit you or do you do it all by telemedicine, do you think? Telemedicine. Or, okay, so telemedicine. <laughs> so then ultimately... And, and I can speak to that because I've had several patients this week who, who's, who are, whose children are sick and they're like, you know, we had our primary care pediatrician see Sally and we did everything through telemedicine. So we're, we're really not wanting people to go out. And when you say you've had some kids that were sick, you mean just normal sick, not COVID? No. COVID. Sick with COVID. Okay. Because at this point, we're, we're out of the flu season. We're out of RSV, which is, RSV is another virus. To you and me, it's a cold, but to babies, it can make them very sick. So we're out of flu season. We're out of RSV season. If you're having these kind of symptoms, although it could get masked with allergy season, um, but if you're having fever, you're definitely like fighting Right. more viral bacterial versus hay fever. Um, gotcha. They're all getting telemedicine. Diagnosed. All right, so walk me down the uh, journey of your husband having those symptoms and then the testing and I guess my notes here say, uh, was that a false, a false negative? Yeah. All right, so I'll tell you. So he came home sick 
and um, we went to go try to get him tested. Um, he came home sick on, I believe, a Tuesday. Got him tested on Friday. He, at the testing facility, got a strep, a flu, and um, the COVID-19 test. And because he's a first responder, he had it fast-tracked, basically. So most patients have to wait, you know, five, seven days um, to get the results back. But um, we wanted to know his right away because he's a first responder. So we got his results back on Sunday. Uh, and on Sunday, his results were negative. So in a way, I felt relieved. I was like, oh, okay, you don't have it. You just have some other viral illness. But as I think back on it, I'm like, there's no way. You had every symptom except for the loss of smell and taste. Um, and the city, what they're doing is usually in the city, the FDNY and the NYPD have unlimited sick. You can just call out sick unlimitedly. And most times you have to go back to the physician that's hired by the city to kind of trace you back and say when you're okay to go back to work. But because of the virus, they don't want anyone down there. He was doing just a phone call and saying, basically, I don't have any symptoms. I don't have a fever. They're doing this 14-day quarantine. Now, the stats on that is in 14 days, 95% of the people are not contagious anymore. But as I've looked back into the research a little bit more, it looks more closer to 21 days to be closer to like a 99%. So you still have like a 5% chance that you're still shedding the virus, you have the virus, um, you know, even if you're asymptomatic. Okay. Um, because we're first responders, you have to go back to work. So the city implemented this 14 days from the last symptom that you had, you can go back to work. So as he went back to work, he traced back to who he worked with that shift when he came home sick, and five of them got sick. Five of them went out that day. <clears throat> Same day. Same day. Two tested positive. A third guy tested negative. He was supposed to go back to work, but he was still symptomatic. So they told him not to. The following day, which was now over a week out, maybe 10 days out, retested, and then he tested positive. So I've gone back a little bit to look at the data because, like I said, I really think, I really think he had the virus and he tested false um, negative. Um, and false negative means he tested negative, but it was wrong. Right. And that may have been because of the testing procedure or the the way the person swabbed his nose and throat may have been done incorrectly, maybe. Right. Or just sometimes, just error. sometimes. This, or it's done too early. Or, or um, the sample's just wrong. Right. I mean, and it, it can, I've looked at the data. The data can be as high as 30% error. So if you go too early or you don't have a good sample, and you get a false negative, you could still be positive. There's a failure rate of as high as 30%. So there's probably six or seven things that could go wrong before the test that you had to wait forever to find and get 
just to have a 30% chance that it did got done wrong anyways. This is frustrating. Or, or, or you had the test done too early and you're not shedding the virus that way. And so, yeah, you're getting, you're getting a test that's saying you don't have it. So when he came back to explain to me, five of them went out that shift, two of them test positive, the third one tested positive almost 10 days later after initially testing negative. The fourth one never went to get tested. He just stayed home. He had all the symptoms. He just stayed home. I mean, he was just like, I'm going to stay home. And then there's my husband. <laughs> so um, Governor Cuomo yesterday rolled out this whole initiative to, um, to test for antibodies. Do you want to talk about that now? Yeah, define what that means, please. Okay. So when you get sick, your body builds up immunity. Oh, it's trying to fight off an infection. So the easiest way to explain it is when it's an active infection, your body's building up what's called IgMs. So if you had any kind of virus, mono, flu, whatever, and you had a blood test done and you have IgMs in your system, what it's saying is you're fighting an active virus right now. If you've been down past 21 days, almost three weeks post-exposure, your body then develops what's called IgGs. And the way I remember it is, it's gone. The virus is gone, your body knows it's there, um, and you're hopefully built up some sort of immunity. And that's what's in the news right now, basically, because we're coming up with these antibody testing. We're trying to figure out who had it and when did they have it, maybe. Um, and so Governor Cuomo came out with this, and my husband did get tested today. So hopefully we'll have some results. Now, having said that, it's very early. There's over 50 tests out um, trying to get clinical trials. So the ones that have been approved were fast-tracked through the FDA. Um, so of course, again, there's this sort of failure rate. You're going right. to get the result back. You're either going to test that you had IgGs for it, or you're going to test that you didn't have any or you're gonna test what's called unequivocal. They could not make a good decision whether you had or did not have. That's like hearing perhaps. Perhaps. Yeah. Perhaps you had it, perhaps you did not. Jeez, man. Okay, and then you, what about the um, IGH? Is, that was the one before the IgG. IgM means you're, you're having an active infection. IgM. So would you test positive if you're still in? If you look at the way they graph them, the moment, so the IgM spike up. <laughs> I'm going to try to do like a graph. The IgM spike up when you're fighting the, a virus, an active virus. And then they start to spike down. And right when they start to spike down, <laughs> do you like this? Yeah, yeah. Are you entertained? Um, the IgG spike up. Okay. So you could trend with where you see a little bit of both. You see IgMs and IgGs. <clears throat> um, but if when you're seeing this big spiking of IgMs, then so if I have the antibodies still, and you can still see that the antibodies are in there, does that mean I'm still fighting the infection, or as soon as the infection is gone, do the antibodies disappear? So that is where we don't know. Okay. In most cases, and I'll give you an example. Um, I'm trying to think. Uh, let me think of some, something good, like mononucleosis. 
in most cases, you get mono, your IgG spike up, you probably won't get mono again. Okay. Um, but in this case, we don't know. We literally don't know if you've built enough IgGs to protect yourself from future exposure. Gotcha. Okay. I, I'm, I'm learning a lot. I really appreciate this. I'm going to give you another example. And okay. this one's pretty simple. Um, so when people get vaccinated, the idea of a vaccine is that you're going to, you're exposed a little bit to a dead virus, like hepatitis B. I'll give you hepatitis B. And your body responds to it and builds up these IgGs. And so hopefully you, if you're ever exposed to hepatitis, which is um, in the blood and food, if you're ever, and it's highly contagious, if you're ever exposed, your body recognizes it, fights it off, says, I've had this before, I'm gonna fight you off. So IgGs are kind of like an antibody that just hangs out in your body waiting for something. It'll recognize, the, oh no. Whereas the I, IgMs are the active fighters. That's yeah, kind of how I'm, right. Okay. So, when, when I went back to the hospital setting to work, they drew my titers. They like, took blood out. They wanted to see how my titers were for, let's say, hepatitis B. And they found that my levels were really low. So they're like, you have some immunity, but you don't have enough immunity. So you need a booster shot. I need to give you another shot of hepatitis B. The hepatitis B vaccine is usually three shots given at certain, in certain in increments. Okay. So here we are like 15 years later after I had the initial series and I had my titers drawn and they said, you're kind of low. You could get infected again. And I was like, oh, crap. Definitely don't want that if I work in the healthcare setting. So I got a booster shot. So that's why when they're doing these testing, like the purpose is what are we going to do with the data? Are we just tracking the people that had it? Will the people really have immunity long-term for their whole life? Will the immunity go down? We don't know. This is like the, you know, we're all learning as we go. That's freaking scary. Because yeah, we, we rely on you guys to have all the answers. <laughs> well, unfortunately we don't. Um, <laughs> it is a little scary. So, Speaking of scary, this is, I'm going to segue into this next part. I was mentioning that hopefully I'll have my buddy, um, Carrie Grossi come on the podcast in the next couple of days or next weeks or whatever, whenever we find time, but he's a, a funeral director in Texas. And I'm interested to understand how is the funeral industry, um, adjusting to either a higher volume or the lack of the ability to have in-person funerals. Right. And, and that, for me, was a topic because I heard some rumblings in the news about how there was such a massive body. The bodies were stacking up so much in New York City and in these super populated areas that have such high. Because how many, how many people have died from, do you have that number in New York City? I don't have that number. I have infected, though. Okay. 139,385. And then didn't we talk about 6% at some point? So worldwide, yeah, we were, we were about to talk about that. Um, this is from April 20th, these stats. Worldwide, uh, 
2319066 confirmed cases worldwide. People uh, passing passing away or getting confirmed cases. Of those passing away uh, was 157,970. So the fatality rate from the World Health Organization as of April 20th was 6.8%. Okay. Well, we, we, I think we can't look at a, a sample size the size of the planet because we don't know who's reporting right. correctly and who's oh, not. No, no. But okay, so anyways, it was more or less just the topic of the fact that there were so many people passing away and the inability to process uh, what has to happen when somebody passes away. I wanted to talk to him about the um, how funeral homes are planning for the surge of when this right. quarantine lifts. And you mentioned um, what they're doing with bodies that aren't claimed in New York. Tell me a little so, bit, because you said it was in the newspaper. It right? was in the newspaper. Um, it was published April 6th. So up here in the city, if a body's not claimed in 14 days, um, they get put in these giant trucks, basically. Um, and they're paying people about 70 bucks an hour to transport these dead bodies over to Heart Island. And they're just throwing them in mass graves. Heart Island? Heart Island, yeah. So I was, you know, I, 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 I was disheartened <laughs> yeah. to see that because, you know, I mean, there might be family members that didn't get a chance to, you know, claim the body because they didn't know. Notified, right. Right. And so they're, they're operating on a two weeks. 14 day rule. You don't get claimed. You're off to Heart Island. You get buried in this mass gravesite. So, yeah, I'd be interested to see how it's affecting your friend. It's, it's very sad because obviously closed casket, obviously six feet apart, obviously, you know, the logistics of running a funeral home. Well, I, mean, I know Carrie, I know Carrie from our time in the old guard where we did um, mm -hmm. um, services for um, veterans that have passed away. <clears throat> and I saw online recently that the old guard is continuing to do burial services and they have- um, I did, I saw that in the news. There's ceremonial masks yeah. that they wear. And if there is somebody who is attending, they are still presenting the flag. Yeah. They present it on a platform instead of uh, handing it off, which is a very uh, touching part of a ceremony. Yeah, I, I saw uh, that in the news, I saw the pictures, it was- But that, that is really scary. Closure, you know, you still, whether your loved one died of this or something else, you still want that closure. Well, just the idea that if somebody hasn't claimed a body in 14 days, the, the sheer scope of this in New York, um, and another reason why I want to talk to you about this being in that area is it helps give people in West Virginia some perspective. You can hear on the news, but when you hear it from somebody that I personally know, not saying that I'm anybody, but you and I are one degree. We, we've known each other for 25 years. <laughs> oh, um, you're dating me. <laughs> now I feel really old. <laughs> we're both old. Um, <laughs> but with 60 cases, and I think only one death in my county, compared to a town, a city where you got 14 days to be claimed or you're going to the yeah. 
a burial ground. That, that like hits home. Like that's real. You're just like, wow. It really that is. is it, it's it's amazing just how different it is. And I mean, I'm only in the Eastern Panhandle, so I'm one hour from DC. So I'm not super far outside of the city. Um, but I'm five hours from our state capital. It's New York City is closer to me than our state capital is, based on how the city is spread apart or the state is spread apart. But I think that really gives some pause and, and some point of reference for the numbers. Um, so you were also talking about, I'm gonna skip that one. Skip that one. <laughs> okay, well, skip it. Oh. I'm, I'm trying to, I'm kind of trying to get, help the content continue to flow. And I think, I think the fact that that's a real shocker that people aren't, aren't being claimed in 14 days and right. those challenges, that's, I'd rather turn it to a more positive spin as we begin to close out this, this conversation. But like, so what do you do to stay healthy? I mean, you know, healthcare, what is your, what are your methods of, of um, healthy living? All right. So I'm glad you asked me that because that is something that my friends did want to know. Um, and I do like the classic stuff that you read in the news all the time that people should be doing, but they're just not doing. Um, and I do want to talk about that for a minute. Um, so me personally, I take the elderberry, I take a multivitamin, I take an omega-3. <laughs> are, you, are you taking pointers there? I'm about to, yes. <laughs> um, and then I, I'm a big component of you know vitamin D because it helps um, fight off um, immune cells, basically. So a great easy way, if I could tell your friends or my friends, to get your vitamin D so you can fight off immunity and to also feel better about yourself is to get out and exercise, power walk, walk your dog, walk around the block, I don't care. Just go out, get some sun, <laughs> 20 minutes, you get your vitamin D, you get a little heart pumping, you get calories burned, you don't have to you don't have to run, you don't have to bike, you don't have to do, you know, I do personally prefer to, to run, but you could just get out for 20 minutes, you get your vitamin D, your power walk, you're going to feel better about yourself, and you're also helping your immunity. So there you go. That's so my 20, 20 minutes is a good number. I, um, I'm not sure if you saw it, but the Bros and Bras, which is a health and social or social and health group that I work with and run, uh -huh. we, we run together, it's a big community. Um, I like I your writing. Yeah, thank you. As a matter of fact, didn't like you, Rosen Bros? Weren't you didn't you bump into bacon at a race? Didn't you see somebody yes. with our shirt? That was you, right? Yes. So I'm I'm at Marine Corps Marathon last year. I'm running. I'm a mile right before Blue Mile. I don't even remember when they do Blue Mile. I think what is that? I don't know, mile eighteen or something mm -hmm. crazy. And uh, I see your friend with this bros and brush t-shirt. And I'm like, do you know my friend Kevin? <laughs> so like mid-race, mile 18, random lady bumps up to him and he's like, yeah, I know Kevin. <laughs> and he's like, how do you know Kevin? I was like, we went to high school together. And I know that's like his running club. And tell him I said hi. And he um, mentioned your wife was there. She was running the 10K. And then he was pacing a friend, he said. And so, like, it was like, hi, what, bye, wave. It was quite funny. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, yeah, yeah, it was a good moment. So, so in, inside the bro, inside the bros group, we all of our races have been canceled. People are losing 
concentration and focus on what they were training for. And it, and it really was beginning to, no matter how positive we are with each other, it was beginning to drag. Like I had, I've already had nine races canceled that I had planned. Um, and so we always like to have a play on the word bra or bro. So naturally I created an event. It's a, it's a, it's a virtual event called the Brovid 19. And um, it's 19 hours of fitness. Now you have to complete it before the quarantine lifts, which nobody knows when that's going to be. Um, so you have 19 hours of fitness, or you okay. have to run, or you have to run 1.9 miles 19 times, or you. Oh, have I'm to in. Do... I'll do the challenge. Good. I'll, I'll, I'll make sure you see it. Oh no, we're 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 developing a T-shirt for purchase. And it's supposed to be done tonight. I don't. I don't think it's gonna be done tonight. But right. I'm. We, I, we're very close to having the T-shirt done and available for purchase, right? Because it's a free challenge. Okay. All you do is buy a T-shirt. Um, yep. So there's. I'm in. There's 19 1.9 mile runs. Okay, that's doable. 1.9 miles, and then the other one is. 19 minutes of anything active per day every day which you have to stay consistent with yeah and then there's 19 miles of running so there's the different categories oh man right so there's different level 19 hours 30k so i'm like well well, that's the thing though but the thing is is that we don't know when the quarantine's over so the challenge actually adds up you can get a double. So you do 19 miles twice, you get the double Ooh. stamp on your t-shirt, right? Ooh, I like it, I'm in. <laughs> and it goes all the way up to Quint because crazy people like Jenny, she's trying to go for 100 hours of fitness before it's over. Okay, you, you got the Quint. You, it was made to be hardcore for people like you. Um, I feel it, I love it. But then if somebody's new to fitness or just trying to get back into shape, 19 minutes, Per day was just the magic number with the Provid 19. I love it. And so, then you're getting your vitamin D. Yes, exactly. You're helping your immunity. Right. So okay, I'm in. Tag me in the thing. I'm in. I gotta get I'll, one. Yeah. Of the I'll add you to the group and get hard. ready because there's a lot of good energy in that group. Okay, um, good. I'm, I'm in it. <laughs> so what other um what other things? You're talking about nutrition. You were eating cookies, though, weren't you? Is that what you were saying? All right, so, all right, I'll be honest. As much as I go out and run, I feed the face. <laughs> so I don't, know, I don't know what's going on here, but between banana cream pie, Easter candy, cookies, s'mores, I mean, I am like, I am like, ugh. It's well, been hard. I'm, I'm a little bit different. I am very lucky to have Jenny guiding my nutrition here at the house. And I love that. She's, yeah, we are stocked up healthy. on heavy proteins. Um, I'm looking at a dip that she made with beans and corn and all kinds of healthy stuff. But because, and this is a weird double-edged sword, when I go out to eat in town, which is a lot, I go there to see people and I go there for the experience of being in a place where I can get barbecue or a taco or whatever it is, right? I'm there for the experience. Don't miss that. Yeah, but because it's takeout only, yeah. it's not my jam. 
So I've been eating at home every single meal, basically. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm actually beginning to lose a little bit of weight, which was not my target. I know. Um, but I am eating healthier. I'm not eating as balanced as I'd want to, but I'm eating my foods prepared by me or by Jenny, which has been, I feel a very good testament to health and wellness. And I am taking like multivitamins. I'm taking a green drink every day. One of those ones that pumps up my vegetables. I eye roll it because. No, but that, no, no, don't eye roll because it's the vegetables and the fruits and all that that have all these good vitamins that are keeping your immunity safe. I know I'm just not used to it. I'm just, yeah. Um, so don't roll your really eyes. I know. And then like Jenny's starting to like push this whole salad agenda, which. I love a good salad. I know I do too, but I also love bacon, eggs and steak and, and like all the hearty things. So moderation. I, I feel like it's definitely forcing me to be healthier and I have new, I have new drives. I have a virtual race I'm getting ready to sign up for in July. So I think I'm going to start training again, but I've been really sullen with my fitness because so many races were canceled. I'm just like, yeah. why? I know. I know. Um, speaking I'll of be, races. I'll be honest. I, I, bought, <laughs> I bought one of the Spartan trifecta passes because my goal this year was to do a sprint. Mm-hmm. And to do, to do, I think you have to do a sprint. It's like a short run, a medium run, and like one of those ultra beast runs, whatever. <laughs> I know. And so far, <laughs> all I did was the sprint, <laughs> and I have no idea when. And I, I think I spent, oh God, don't tell my husband, like almost $400 on a pass that I've only been able to do one race so far. <laughs> yeah, so I'm in the same boat. I did boat. get a little notice that they're extending it through past January now so now I have through January so hopefully things will open up but you know let's go I with was, the virtual challenges yeah I was um really looking forward to a super healthy year because I was tempting probably the hardest fitness uh thing in the last decade oh yeah uh, tell me about your Ragnar yeah so I was going to do Ragnar's I was going to do what's called their immortal it's an attempt to do an immortal you do 12 Ragnar's in one year and wow. most of it's crammed into spring starting in late February. And, and those are like trail races, right? Some are trail and some are road. Uh, the trail are eight people relaying for about 130 miles. So you do approximately a half marathon. Yeah, part, of yeah. it's in the, part of it's in the mornings, part of it's at night, and part of it's the next morning typically is how yeah. it goes. And that's trail. And on road, it's 12 runners covering 200 miles, which will range wow. from... 13 miles total up to 24 miles depending on which leg you get Uh uh-huh um oh i was looking at southern california i was looking at the northwest passage which was um you run from the canadian border down the washington state coastline i mean just epic yeah Uh, there's one in texas there's one in colorado it's snow mass there's one in michigan i was signed up for yeah right um richmond west virginia atlanta miami florida um, I think there was a Cape Cod. I can't remember if I was signed up for that one or not. Uh, and there's there's numerous ones I'm forgetting about, but many were postponed to fall or straight up canceled, which yeah. annihilated my attempt for Immortal Ragnar this year. But there is some. There is some. Huh? We'll work on that. We'll put that yeah, on the I, 
we'll work on other stuff. It was all paid for already. Oh, shit. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> a little unfiltered right now. That's all good. No, it was more of a, like, the hardest part of this Ragnar was the operations of joining teams of people I don't know. Hey, everybody in LA, who's doing the race? Right, right, right. Here's my race resume. Add me as a stranger to your team. <laughs> I had and someone ask me to do the Utah race, but I was like, I can't be going to Utah. I hear you, right? Yeah, so. I love but, Utah, but I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't go. Yeah, so I, like, I would have to fly to Texas. Um, I was flying to Colorado. I was flying to Washington State and Southern California this year, which, again, ratchets it up. And then you got to get there a couple of days early, you know, to get ready. Right, and right. For a day, at least one day after the finish of the race. So hotel, it was just, it was really expensive, but it was the highlight of my, um, of the decade race-wise. So living healthy got put on a hold because my fitness just went out the window. Um, but then I found a group out of Washington State that's doing a virtual Ragnar, and they okay. did it in a, re a really neat kind of format. It's outside the Ragnar organization, um, but it's really affordable, and it's finally it's finally something I can challenge myself to go after. Um, but one of the things before before we wrap up was I wanted to know about the uh, the World Trade Center. Um, oh, dare yeah. run. Tell me about that. So the Tunnel to Towers Run um, is a, a great organization in general. They get back to the veterans. They get back to uh, first responders. And I got involved. Um, I got invited last year to, to do it. And basically, I, you go up you know, from World Trade Center from the bottom, and you run up the steps all the way to the tippy top to the observation tower. And it was actually the fifth anniversary of doing it. And it starts super early. So like the elites start at 5 a.m. Wow. And then you get you get put, your corrals are like in 15 minute increments. So Hold 5 a.m., 5.15, 5.30. Elite, elite stair runners? <laughs> yes. So there's, um, there's a, I guess like the Sears Tower and there's all these, you know, high rises, uh, Empire State Building, uh, I'm trying to think of them all, but I can't. But just like if you do the world six majors of the of the marathons, like Boston, Chicago, New York, London, Tokyo, blah, 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 you get like that special Abbott medal. Same thing for the, the tower climbers. So if you do all like these set high rises, you get a special like medal. Um, so it's very popular, I guess. Um, so, but the... the, the the reason I did it is um, basically I did it with the FDNY team. Um, I did it. The fundraising minimum is two fifty, mm -hmm. um, and I found it. I found it amazing. I think I got up at three a.m. because I live about an hour and a half from New York City, <laughs> and my husband was like, "Are you sure you're going?" And I'm like, "Oh yeah, I'm there. Five a.m. I'm there." <laughs> so I got up at three a.m., drove myself to New York City. Surprisingly found a parking spot. It was on a Sunday. So I found a parking spot like right across World Trade. And uh, they do it in 15 minute increments. You have to go like through security. And the interesting thing is you can't take anything, nada, because of security. So literally you, you put your like ID on your arm and that's it. That's all you got. You got, and your car key, I guess. 
and that's it. That's all you get. And then you go through security and they put you in like these 15 minute increments. And yeah. So I think the elite elite won it, ran up the whole flight of world trade one in like 14 minutes. How, how many floors? Remember, it was like 200 and something. It was like something insane. But what I what, I'll, what I will say this is, you can't tell what floor you're on because there's no lights, right? I mean, there's lights, but you can't. You're not like, oh, I'm on floor 80 or whatever. You, you just can't tell because you're on the service stairway. So as I'm going up, I start hearing music. Some lady's pumping her rocky music off her phone. Some security lady. And I was like, oh, good, I'm getting close. And I asked her, what floor am I on? She's like, oh, you're like on 80. And I'm like, oh, lady, you're killing me. <laughs> Here I thought the good music was like, you know, usually yeah. like as you're getting to the finish line, you're getting pumped up with this great music. Um, if you ever run um, the, the Brooklyn half, it ends in Coney Island on the boardwalk. And I'll never forget crossing the finish line because they're playing the Beastie Boys. And you're like, yeah, it's the music, right? So I had that in my head. I'm thinking, I'm, I'm almost at the top. And she's like, no, you're like, 80th floor was like halfway, you know? Oh, my God. I was like, oh, God, I'm dying here. <laughs> so my pro tip would be with, to wear gloves because as you go up, and a lot of people do two steps by two steps. And, um, and then just have fun with it. it. It went really fast. I think I did it in like 26 minutes, which is really great because my family put bets on me and I had them put them in little, you know, like fold it up, put it in a basket. When mom gets home, we'll see who came closest. Well, I think they were used to doing marathons. So they put like five hours, six hours. <laughs> no one came close to my 26 minutes. And I had put in, uh, I think I put in 45 minutes or something. So when I got my 26 minutes, I was like, ooh, Hello, I'm not too far off from the elite. <laughs> I can work a little exactly. harder next time. <laughs> I could well, that, play. That's really good. That's really good. Yeah, uh, it was. It was great. It was. It was. Afterwards, um, they they do like professional pictures at the top. You can stay up at the top, and um, and then they provide breakfast down in the Oculus, which is like this grand. I don't know if you've been there, <laughs> but it's it's where the the subways come in, and it looks like the belly of a whale, basically. It's ginormous. Um, it's a big mall inside. The, all the subways, the path train from Hoboken, everything comes in and it's all glass and open. It's just gorgeous. And then one of the um, cafes there provides lunch and it was all like a really nice, nice like brunch, lunch kind of. That's awesome. Yeah. That's really good to hear. Yeah. Well, Maria, is there anything we missed? Is there anything else we should have, any other topics um, we should have crossed? Yeah, I, I do. I do want to do the shout outs. Oh yeah, go ahead. So, <laughs> what 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 is this? Hey, what do we mean by shout outs? And then we'll wrap it up. Okay. Uh, so I saw this done in um, in uh, Instagram basically, and uh, it's just a, a couple of questions for you, and and then you can shoot them back to me if you want. It's just oh, like boy. a roll call. Okay. Um, so tell me someone you're thankful for. Whom I'm thankful for? Yeah. I'm thankful for my wife. Yes. <laughs> she is my partner, and she has to tolerate all of my terribleness as it is defined. Um, oh, and, <laughs> Yes. So. I love it. That is, that's my person. I love it. 
All right. Um, shout out to who's your everyday hero? But um, my everyday hero. Yeah. Whew, define what that means by hero. Um, someone you look up to, admire, challenges you. Um, well, I have a small group of people who I'm kind of networked in that are all small business owners. Okay. And we are all challenged differently day to day. Forget the whole COVID thing, but day to day, we all have challenges. And I was, I've been lucky to piece together a few people that I can call on and we'll always answer those, each other's calls to talk about challenges that we're having. Um, and that whole network would be a whole network of equal heroes. You know, we, right. we all look up to each other, I'd say. So that's, that's probably where it's at, yeah. And I know if they're listening, which I know they don't have time to listen, but if they are listening, you know who you are. Oh, I like that. I like that. Okay. Tell me a strength of yours right now during the uh, COVID. Um, a strength would what be... What do you see yourself as having a good strength right now? What's a positive thing you're doing? strength of yours it's it's not much different than outside of covid but i'm very reflective before i make decisions i uh, i work things out in my head pretty well before i uh so re re being reflective is definitely my current superpower <laughs> i like that um and we could all learn a lot from that instead of firing off all right and then who did you last video chat not me obviously <laughs> Jen Blumberg was at one o'clock and we talked about a uh, dog on a run. It's a, it's her um, dog running slash walking company. She's getting ready oh, to launch, cool. which she wasn't a launch, but then COVID or COVID hit. So she's using that time, hopefully to get really squared away for when it does launch. So okay. she was, she was an hour ago. And then before that was, um, Last night we had one, and the day before that we had one. But like your episode forty six, so we're we're pumping that. out, we're pumping out a few. And yeah. Thank you for having me. Definitely, uh, Rita. Rita was the last one I did before Jen Blumberg. I saw Rita's episode. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. That was great too. Um, I love it. I'm, but if, if it, what's really great about this podcast is I get to have really nice conversations with people who know things to to teach me, you know, and then it's you come out of it with a really great feeling. I, I, I really enjoyed that you invited me here. Thank you. I have one more. Last person okay. you texted. The last person I texted? Mm-hmm. Well, that would be all my a-hole cousins. Who <laughs> we, 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 text, we text more than we should. It is all day. It's a group of six to eight of us on the thread. Is and it, it, start, it starts at- Is yeah. Not a single? Oh, God. Oh. Yeah, the group text starts at around 4.45 in the morning and goes to about 11 or oh, midnight. Wow. And it's approximately 400 texts a day. And it's everything from investment tips to shit talking to making fun of each other. And now we're starting to morph it into um, things like Zoom. So all of us, we, oh, have cool. a, we, have a, we have a room that's open 24-7. And sometimes someone say, I'm going to the, we call it the drunk tank. So we're going <laughs> to the drunk tank. And then we get in there and we start chatting like you and I are chatting right now. Oh, I love really it. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Oh, God. Okay. And then last one. Uh, your most recent random online purchase 
during this quarantine? Um, what did I, I just bought something today, but All it right, was really, oh, it was really boring. I, today, I, this is my, my second most random was today, but it was try, it was a cell phone stands where, where I can start videoing better okay. for the podcast, which is my, my hobby is the podcast. I love it. Um, but the most <laughs> random purchase was, uh, earlier in the week I bought, um, little nursery pots to grow um, catnip. Oh. We, have, we have three cats in the house and I want to start a hydroponics lab to grow catnip to either give to them straight up or to put in little toys or whatever. So it's, I mean, whatever, we got a lot of, a lot of free time, right? So. Yeah, why yeah, not? That was I really good. Say, I will say this, my husband's been like, wow, our purchases have gone way down since you don't go. <laughs> it is true. I have made only one purchase. What'd you get? I got another pair of Brooks because I was so scared that they would go like that style would be discontinued. I've had so many like issues with my running shoes. That was it. And That's so good. he's like, wow, we have like all this extra cash now that you're not going out I've been hearing that from a lot of families. Like and one family. Went... Like, I'm so happy. You should probably like work from home more. Yeah, right. <laughs> totally. The, um, a very good friend of mine, a uh, husband and wife team, they were like, we, we spend a lot of money going out. I said, what do you mean? She's like, because we're not going out and we have a lot of money in the bank. I was like, yeah, it's probably true. It's yeah. Probably it's true. the eating out too. So right. usually on Fridays, my office manager in Poughkeepsie and I, we swap treating each other for lunch and it's like our routine Friday. We end the week. We treat each other to lunch and we don't have that anymore. And she's, she's a little plug out to, um, to Pam, cause I love you and I miss you to my office manager. But she's like, I've been missing you so much. I thought I'd, you know, get the little soccer ball and put your face on it and put it <laughs> at your desk and I'll just start talking to it. <laughs> cause I just like miss you so much in the office. That's so she'll awesome. usually send me like a little video chat when, when she's in the office and just, you know, like swing the chair over <laughs> to where I usually am. That's funny. Anyway, a little shout out to my office manager, Pam, because I love her and I miss eating lunch with her. <laughs> well, that was a really good one. The, those shout outs, that was strong. I, I, I saw that in your notes, but I didn't quite know what it meant. But now, now I see it and it, that's really good. It's that's fun. really sharp. It's fun. I, I took that from Instagram. So check your Instagram. I right. sent you the original one. Thanks. Well, hey, thank you for coming on the podcast. You were very informative. It was really nice to see you again. I know. I know. And you guys be safe. And I'm here if you have more questions. And thank you for everything. Okay. You be safe too. I really, <laughs> really appreciate it. <laughs> this podcast is brought to you by City National Bank in Ransom, West Virginia. I am Melissa Knott and manage both of our Jefferson County locations. Our Charlestown location is located on George Street in Charlestown and the Ransom location is located in the Potomac Marketplace Shopping Center. City National Bank is a full-service community bank that provides an array of financial services. We offer a range of free checking accounts and savings products for both consumer and business customers. City National Bank offers competitive low-rate and low-cost lending products for both business and personal needs. 
Come and talk to me or one of my team members and get products and services that are tailored to fit your schedule and help you to achieve your financial goals. I can be reached at both the Ranson and Charlestown locations. Check out our website at www.bankatcity.com. Today's intro song is called Mean in a Good Way. It's written and performed by Peter Clark off of his album, Peter Clark After Dark. Peter, <laughs> Peter describes this song as being the best song to learn hula hooping to. Peter is an avid hooper and recently started a hula hoop repair business. If you ever need hula hoop repair, consider contacting Peter. You can reach him on SoundCloud. Just search Peter Clark After Dark. Peter Clark After Dark.